Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's Sheer. Thank you for joining us. Tonight is Sheer number 81 with Coach Menachem Berenfeld and Let's Get Real program every Sunday night. We have a schus, an honor of having Dr. May Wickler back with us. If anybody was here with us from the beginning, Dr. Wickler was Sheer number seven and now we're Sheer 81. So uh, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a long ride, Dr. Wickler. So welcome back and we're very excited you're back. Um, again, I always start off every week thanking everybody the growing platform for everybody keeps on posting on their WhatsApp statuses and uh, telling people about the Shirim and more and more people know about it. And again, I say not every Shir is for every single person. We cover so many different topics, but even if it's not for you, it might be for somebody else that's going through something or somebody, you know, that will be helpful. So let people know about it. It's, it's very helpful. And again, thank you. If anybody wants to get our, the, the, the chats on the WhatsApp on Sundays, I, I make the flyer, I send it out to everybody in bulk. Just WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. That's 848-525-0066. And I will send you the flyer every Sunday. You can post it and send it around. Really appreciate it. For all those who are watching this share now on the replay on YouTube, please click on the like button for Coach Menachem. Click on the subscribe button. So every Sunday when we, every Monday morning when we upload the share, you get all the shares that are coming in. I first want to start off thanking all of our advertising sponsors who promote us every week. I'd like to thank the Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood for promoting us. We appreciate it. Special thank you to Ravi Anif and Chazak. Chazak offers programming for all. For more information, go to chazak.org. And a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer for always promoting us on all the Jewish digital platforms. Um, special thank you to, to Shmuel, who always really helps. The, the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. OKClarity.com, you can find the best therapists coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Links will be emailed after the show with Coach Menachem. Again, for all the people that are here the first time, the share is every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m., the new time. It seems like it's going to be staying for a while. It's 9.30 time. Um, again, we always bring on Rabbanan, special people that have a lot to say on specific topics and Yonim, and uh, so far, so good. So please try to join us. The next two Sundays, we will not be having a share, Coach Menachem. Do you know about this? The, 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 did corporate tell you? <laughs> it's voted the next two Sundays are going to be the first night of Hanukkah and the last night of Hanukkah. And since the Olam likes to eat donuts, um, there's no chance that we're going to do a shir. And Menachem, by the way, drinks a lot, so I don't know if he'll be able to go on drunk. <laughs> so uh, the next two Sundays, there'll be no shir. I feel bad. Sorry about that. Um, that so the next year is actually, Dr. Look, I didn't even tell you this, is going to be a little bit of a, I don't want to say follow-up, but a little bit weiter in marriage. We're going to have Rabbi Sian Schaefer from the Schmooze, who was also on one of the beginning guests, and he's, he's coming out with a book. It's called Some of the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. So um, I think it's going to be. Minutes. Yeah, yeah. These are, this is 10 minutes to help your marriage and 10 dumb mistakes. So everything is 10. There's obviously something with, you know, the, the, with the Luchas, you know, whatever, but there's something with 10. So it's definitely going to be, I think it's going to work. I, I know a little bit what he's talking about. So I think it's going to actually work very, very hand in hand. I think after tonight's year, you need that year. So it's good. We'll have the Aschala and then we'll have that. So please join us December 12th after Hanukkah. It's going to be an amazing, deep program. Um, I spoke to Rabbi Shafi. He's been working on this book for a long time. So um, it's going to be something really special. And again, tonight we have this question on of having Dr. May Wickler with us here tonight. I will get back to him in a moment. Let's start, first, let's start off first with a statement. 
with an opening psichas tavarim from our host, Coach Menachem Berenfeld. So it is very exciting to have back with us Dr. Wickler, which Baruch Hashem, I, I've still been getting, getting feedback. Um, many people are, are using the partial, um, uh, the, whatever partial they prim. learned. Partial credit. That's it. And that's really, it takes me to different places also. It's positive and negative. If you want to realize, build and grow, you can't look for perfection because there's very little perfection in this world. So Baruch Hashem, we're back. And thinking about Shalom Bayis, it's, it's not hard to see the, the, the generations, you know, the, our grandparents, parents and us to see their things are changing. And uh, most of our grandparents pretty much, you know, he did what he needed to do. She did what she did. And they were screaming a little bit you know, back and forth, but nothing personal, nothing. They didn't take it too far. Today, Baruch Hashem, the, the world is opening up. We're learning so much more. And they're learning about emotional intelligence and starting to learn about your own emotions and your spouse's emotions. And you're starting to see it is working. It's not working. What should I do? And then automatically you feel lonely and you're not sure. Maybe it's his, hers. So it, it gets a little bit, uh, they have to figure things out on, on a different level. And uh, the truth is hopefully we'll, able, we'll be able to hear a little bit tonight. But um, I know that there are many out, out of there that, that are sitting together, the spouse, you know, so you sit Sunday night to hear the information. And tonight you're gonna hear information about your spouse. Or about you. Now there's two ways how to look at it. So I think the first thing is don't point fingers. And if you want to see any change, it always starts with myself. What can I do to make any change, any movement? And especially now, we're not going to have the next two weeks and Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a man of, of, of Nisim. And there are people out there who they say, by me, nothing is going to work. Tried everything. I tried, read the books. It, it is what it is. But you can hope for an S, maybe a little bit of movement. If you do something a little bit different, instead of being stuck in, in, in the ways that you were for years already for now and, and seeing and, and believing that nothing could change, by doing things just a little bit different, you'll be surprised. So tonight, the topic is 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes, it could be a lot for you, it could be a little, it depends everybody in their age, their stage, but I think we'll be able to take something and grow to see some movement and some growth, no matter what stage you are and what age, to enhance the mitzvah here tonight, and we'll be able to take out with a lot of siyata deshmaya. Shkoyach. Shkoyach, Coach Menachem, beautiful opening. Okay, so right before we start, let me just say, when we learn tonight, Shil Zeichen Nishmas, Meshkiach Ademir, Rav Aaron Chodesh, this is the first start tonight. So his name is Rav Aaron David Ben Harav Meir. Should be a schus tonight. Share all the hundred people that are here tonight. Make sure the thousands of people that listen to it. Should be a schus for him. Dr. Wickler, I just want to say one thing. I was speaking to a friend of mine today in Shul. I told him tonight we're going to be talking about 10 minutes. I don't enhance his marriage. He said it's way too much. You got to try to do it like in three minutes. So if we could try, <laughs> if we could do that, I thought it was a great line. Um, I'm going to read your bio and then the floor is yours. Here we go. Dr. Mayo Wickler is a psychotherapist and family counselor with full-time private practice in offices, with offices in the New Jersey and Brooklyn, New York. He's a sought-after speaker in the U.S., the U.K., and Israel. 
He's published over 100 articles in various clinical journals, as well as popular uh, uh, magazines such as the Jewish Observer and the Mishpacha magazine. He's also written 12 books on marriage, parenting, psychotherapy, and stories of Ashkacha Pratis, published by, by Art Scroll, Feldai, Menucha, and Medea Treasures Israel Bookshops. And many <coughs> of his lectures in Shiurim are available at Torah Anytime. Dr. May Wickler, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Rabbi Usher and uh, Rabbi Nachem. Uh, I very much appreciate your having invited me back a second time. Uh, I'm not a big baltilla, but I do occasionally dumb for the Yomid if I'm in a strange place. And uh, if I come home and try to boast a little bit that I was invited to daven for the Yomid. So my wife always reminds me, it's not a covet to, daven for the, to ask to daven for the Yomid. It's only a covet to be asked to daven for the Yomid a second time. The first time they never heard you. So <laughs> it's not a covet, but they hear you and they invite you a second time, that's a covet. So I, Consider this a very big cover that you invited me back the second time after you heard me the first time. You still want to hear me again. So I consider that a very big cover. You know, when I meet people at a social event, strangers, and we're just getting to know each other, and people ask me, So what do I do for a living? And I tell them. So nine out of 10 times, I get the same question Tell me, what's the most common? marital problem today in the firm community. And then if I'm at a smorgasbord and I'm trying to swallow what I'm eating before I answer, typically the person answers their own question. I know what it is. They're arguing about the children. They can't agree on how to handle the children. Parenting issues, that's what's causing all the problems. Well, they say, or oh, maybe, you know, it's, it's the in-laws. The in-laws are always interfering and that's what causes problems in the marriage. If they just butt out and leave the couple alone, they would do so much better. And other people say, nah, it's money, right? It's money. They can't agree on how to spend the money. He spends too much, she spends too little, the other way around. They're always arguing about money, right? So I usually smile and uh, go back to the table for another helping of the shlishkis or whatever it is, a meeting at the smorgasbord. Because typically, when people ask me that kind of question at a simcha, they're really not interested in hearing my answer. They want to tell me their answer. But if you invited me to be here tonight, I think you want to hear my answer. So I'll tell you, I think the most serious problem that causes the most difficulties and conflicts in marriage in the firm community today is ineffective communication. When husbands and wives cannot communicate effectively, that's what causes all the problem. Now what I mean by effective communication, I'll tell you what I mean it's very clearly. I define effective communication as communication where the husband and wife both feel heard and understood by each other. And on the contrary, if a couple is experiencing ineffective communication where either or both spouses feel that their husband or their wife doesn't really get it, doesn't really understand and they don't really know how they feel, they can't get through to them, they just can't get their point across. There is nothing more aggravating, painful, or distressful than that. To live with someone who you feel just doesn't get you, doesn't understand what you're trying to say, or doesn't uh, really understand you, then uh, I think there's nothing more frustrating and upsetting than that. So I believe that when couples can learn how to 
communicate more effectively, regardless of what their differences are, they can be resolved, not necessarily in one sitting, not in one shot, but eventually, if they're communicating effectively, they can learn to resolve any difficulty that they have. Now, in order to do that, it's necessary for couples to learn sometimes a new way of communicating with each other than they didn't do before. For example, there's four basic marital communication skills that every couple needs in order to have a successful marriage. If any or both spouses are deficient in any one of these skills, it's gonna cause a strain in their relationship. And if it's more than one skill, it can cause some serious heartache and problems. What are the four basic skills? I just run through them quickly. Number one, you need to be able to express your negative feelings like hurt, disappointment, criticism without attacking. Number two, you need to be able to listen to your spouse's negative feelings because no one's perfect and everyone has complaints and you can't live with someone without complaining about them sometimes. And you need to be able to listen and hear your spouse's negative comments without being defensive. Number three, you need to be able to express positive feelings comfortably and freely. And you need to be able to hear and accept your spouse's positive feelings without awkwardness or embarrassment or deflecting it or turning it away. You need to be able to fully accept it. And couples can master these four skills that I think they can on, a, on the right path towards resolving any difficulties that they have, any differences that they have. Now, in order to learn these skills, it's necessary to, to go through a, a process of what I call taking turns. And that's a dramatic departure from what people have done their whole lives. Most of us, since we learn how to talk, communicate like a tennis game or a volleyball game. The ball goes back and forth over the net. I speak and you listen and you speak and I listen. We go back and forth like that. There's a very simple reason we communicate with people that way. And the reason is because it works. That's why we do it. However, there's one exception to that rule. And the exception is when you're dealing with a husband and wife we're trying to discuss a controversial or sensitive subject where either or both have strong feelings, then that system is gonna to have to be put aside and replaced with a system that I call taking turns. That means there's one speaker and one listener for the session, not forever, but for the session. And the next session, you'll switch roles and go back and forth that way. But when you try to have a conversation about a controversial or sensitive subject, we'll both get to be the speaker. Then what you have is no one really being a listener. And Wickler's definition of an argument is a communication session between two people on a sensitive subject where both wanna speak and neither one wants to listen. That's an argument. And I do not believe that arguments are constructive or helpful. I don't recommend that couples have arguments. And if they use a system of taking turns, then by definition, it's never gonna be an argument. Now, I'm not suggesting that that has to be done 24 seven, but during designated 
communication sessions, whether it's in my office or at home, couples need to take turns. One person is a speaker. The next time, the next one is a speaker. We take turns. So that's basically my approach in working with couples. And that's basically what I described in my book, 10 minutes a day. And the 10 minutes a day refers to the communication exercise of having a session once a day for 10 minutes. One, one night it's the husband speaking and the wife listening. The next night it's the wife speaking and the husband listening. And they go back and forth until they reach a resolution and resolve whatever issue is on the table. So that's basically my approach. And uh, if you have any questions that you'd like me to address, I'd be happy to do so. Okay, Dr. Walker, thank you for that opening. And we have a lot of questions, Baruch Hashem, that came in. We're going to take a poll first from the Oilum. We'll get them warmed up. And then we have the schos of having Dr. Wickler, who's doing this for many, many years. And um, it's an opportunity. So everybody could ask. Dr. Wickler, I said every time we do a marriage session, it's not for you, it's for Yenem, so you have nothing to worry about. We all know everybody has perfect marriages, so it's not really, it's not really complicated. Okay, let's take a poll, and let's see what everybody says. Here we go. Two-question poll. Number one, I feel like my spouse understands how I feel, A, most of the time, B, sometimes if they really try hard, or C, really or never. I feel my spouse understands how I feel either most of the time, sometimes, really or never. The second question is, I can discuss with my spouse anything, even my deepest secrets and feelings. That's option A. Option B, most things, some things are just not for them. Like you could discuss a lot of things, but there's certain hot button topics you can't discuss with them. C, basic marriage stuff, kids, scheduling, you know, the basic, basic communication. Or option D, um, they never have time or patience. Patience, I just do my own thing. So everybody, please vote. We have a bunch of people here tonight. Let's see what Adam says, and then Dr. Wickler will take the we'll take the poll and we'll take and we'll see what we're dealing with. Quickly, like the questions? Yeah, I love it. Okay. Five seconds. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Okay, so these are the results. I feel like my spouse understands how I feel. 51% of people said most of the time. 36% of people say sometimes if they really try hard. 13% of people say really or never. Second question, I could discuss with my spouse. 32% of people said anything, even my deeper secrets and feelings. 32%. Second choice is most things, some things are just not for them. Certain hot buttons, they just, that those things they can't discuss. Third option is basic marriage stuff, kids scheduling 17%. And the last answer is they never have time or patience. I just do my own thing, 6% six, six of people. Okay, let's X the poll, we can get it off the screen. Let's start with the first question. Hmm? Dr. Wickler, do you want to do you want to say anything about the about the results? Yeah, yeah, I uh, I'm I'm really taken by the uh, the number of people who who don't feel they're uh, they can discuss anything with the spouse and they feel the spouse always understands them um, because as I said before, if you feel your spouse doesn't understand you. Uh, on anything really, then that can be a source of tremendous pain that can eat away at uh, 
uh, the positives in a marriage. And uh, I think it's a shame that anyone would uh, even anonymously uh, put that down because uh, I know from my work with couples how, how disappointing, how agonizing and how painful it can be if you feel that your spouse doesn't understand you even sometimes. So I'm, I'm being taken by that. Okay, let's start with the first question here. Yeah. Why do couples have to learn communication skills? Isn't there something we all, we all know without being taught? Or maybe I'm not aware of what communication skills are. Can you please clarify? Thank you. Question is, right, Dr. Wickler. Do couples have to learn communication yeah. skills? Yeah. So they do. And, um, but the question is a good one. because <laughs> I'm asked it all the time. So I'm very familiar with having to answer that. Um, most of the time with most people, your communication is excellent. You understand them and they understand you. But again, if you're dealing with your spouse on a sensitive or controversial issue where either one of, or both of you have strong feelings, then the regular kind of communication skills that you use with everyone else all the time is simply not gonna work. So you are gonna need to learn different skills in order to be an effective speaker. You need to learn how to express your negative feelings without insulting, without attacking, without raising your voice, without using the volpeh. Now, these things are what I call nuclear weapons. They're hurtful. They cause a lot of damage. They get your spouse's attention, but they don't really accomplish anything very productive. But when people feel with their back against the wall, they feel frustrated, annoyed, misunderstood, they are going to lash out with what I just referred to as nuclear weapons because they feel they have no other choice. However, if spouses can learn to communicate more effectively in the way that I just mentioned, then they can be heard much better than they were before. And also it's necessary to set up the structure of having sessions where you take turns it's not something we're used to doing. And when couples start doing it in my office, they all tell me it feels very awkward. It's not a normal way of conversation where only one person gets to be the speaker and the other person has to listen the whole time. It's not a normal thing to do and I agree with them. And I empathize that it does feel awkward. However, it is helpful and it is necessary. You know, if someone Rahman had a stroke and then they have to use physical therapists to teach them how to walk. It's very uncomfortable, it's very unpleasant, but it's necessary for the rehabilitation process. And if a couple is in stress because they're not communicating well with each other, then they're gonna to have to do something which is a little awkward, which is sometimes communicate in a different way by taking turns. Now, what if, what couples if also need to- What if the spouse is not ready? If one of the spouses is not ready to do it, they don't want, uh, where, where do they start? Where does this, does it have to start in the therapist's room? Okay. Um, 
I didn't finish explaining all the, the, uh, um, the, the tools of, of effective communication, but I want to get back to your question, Malcolm, if you can just hold it for a second. Sure. Couples also need to learn how to be good listeners. And to be a good listener doesn't mean you nod your head and say, I understand and I hear you. That's what I call a declaration. I'm declaring that I heard you. That doesn't make the speaker feel heard. Just someone saying, I hear you, I understand you. That doesn't prove anything. In order for a speaker to feel heard, the listener has to demonstrate that they heard and understood. And that's done in two ways, and both ways are necessary. The first way is by reflecting. By that, I mean repeating what you heard in a paraphrase in your own words. So basically what I hear you telling me is that I get it straight. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Reflecting. That at least lets the speaker know you heard the words. But then the second thing, which is even more important, is a listener has to ask good questions. It's only by asking good questions that the speaker really feels that the listener was connected, trying to understand, and taking in what they said. I don't require that a listener agrees with the speaker, but the listener has to pay attention, reflect, and ask good questions. Okay, now, you, Menachem, have not repeated anything I said tonight, but I know you're paying attention. How do I know? Because you just asked a good question. That's how I know you're paying attention. So repeat your question again, and I'll take it up now. I basically want to know um, the first steps. I know the, we're talking about couples here. So yes. one, one is maskim and looking forward, and they want to start this new thing, this new mahalach. The other one is out to lunch. Okay. This is not an uncommon situation. It happens very, very often. So if someone calls me, for example, and presents that to me over the telephone and says, I want to get help, that my spouse is unwilling. So I'll tell you what I tell them. I say you have two choices. You can not come because obviously we can't work on your marriage if you're both not here together and your spouse is not willing to come. So then I guess there's nothing you can do about it. And if you don't come, then you're empowering your spouse and allowing them to control you by refusing to come, then you're not getting any help yourself. However, the other choice is you could come alone. Now I'm not suggesting that you're gonna come alone forever and that anything is necessarily gonna change in your marriage if only you are coming. But there's a few things that can be accomplished if you come alone. Number one, you and I may be able to figure out a way to get your spouse to join. We'll discuss strategies that may be able to pull them in. And even if not, you could learn strategies for dealing with them that would empower you. So I always tell spouses, if they tell me that their other spouse is unwilling to participate in any kind of counseling or, or growth program of any kind, I tell them, you come yourself. And at least you're gonna get help in dealing with what you're dealing with at home, and maybe through the work that we're doing together, we may be even able to get your spouse to join. Okay, Dr. Wilk, I want to jump on this yeah. question. 
it's, it's a tough question, but uh, right. it's going to cut up with the conversation. I feel like I'm stuck. Can you please help me? From the outside, we have a beautiful marriage for 20 years already. We married of kids. However, I have no, I ha there is no way my spouse can understand me emotionally. She just doesn't get me. Is it possible there, there is nothing that I could do? Or maybe you have a solution. Thank you. Well, I don't think there's nothing you can do. I think there is a solution. And I think the solution is that you need both of you to learn to communicate more effectively. Now, I understand you're not getting through and you've tried and failed up to now, but just because you've tried and failed up to now doesn't necessarily mean that there's no hope. And the muscle I like to give when someone presents that same question to me is that uh, about 25 years ago, I had a, a minor dermatological problem that was causing me a lot of stress. It wasn't a serious problem, but it was causing me a lot of discomfort. And I went to a top dermatologist. He prescribed the cream, which took away the problem. But then when I stopped using the cream, the problem came back. So I went back to the dermatologist. He said, use it more and then it'll go away. And it did, but when I stopped, it came back. And after a few visits to that dermatologist, and I just felt the same thing was going on. I wasn't getting anywhere. So I thought maybe I need a different dermatologist. Well, to make a long story short, I consulted four top dermatologists, all excellent reputations, excellent track records. And they all basically told me the same thing. I'm using the right cream. You see it's going away and uh, just use it more. And I was suffering for about six months with the problem going away and coming back a few days after I'd stopped using the cream. And then I was sitting, learning with one of my chavrusas and all of a sudden I felt the problem coming back a few days after I had stopped using the cream. And I was really going out of my mind. And I could have used a therapist maybe to help me deal with that. But my chavrusa said to me, what's going on? I told him the whole, sad story of what I've been suffering through the last few months. I said, I don't know what to do anymore. He says, you know what? You may have to see a better dermatologist. Let me do some research for you. He came back a couple of days later. He gave me the name and phone number of the chief of the dermatology department at a major hospital in Manhattan. It took me weeks to get an appointment with him and it cost me an arm and a leg, but it was worth it because I came in, I didn't even show him the problem. I just gave him the history. He told me he knew what the problem was and he was right. Not to keep him in suspense. He said that the cream I was using was very strong. As a result, that area of my skin had developed an addiction to the cream. When I stopped using the cream, I was getting a withdrawal reaction on the skin and that's why it went away when I used the cream again. But when I stopped, it came back. He told me I needed to go cold turkey, not use the cream anymore. He gave me an over-the-counter medication to give me temporary relief. And he was 100% right. It's over 25 years and Baruch Hashem and never came back. My point is, if you go to a dermatologist or any other 
specialist and he doesn't help and you're trying to, it doesn't mean that dermatology can't help you. It may mean you need another dermatologist. And I'm saying the same thing to you. If you've tried communicating to your spouse and you just feel your spouse just doesn't get it, just doesn't understand you. And no matter what you've done, however you've tried, you can't get through. You may just need to learn a different way of communicating. And maybe you can get through if you try a new way. Yeah, Dr. Wickler, let's go to a topic that I think is rather relevant to a lot of people. So everybody who's listening, it's probably your spouse that wrote it in about you. I feel like my spouse doesn't listen when I talk. He's honest. They are, let's not say his. It could be a woman the other way. They are always on their phone, busy with a thousand other things. <laughs> I work on my communication. I listen to Dr. Wickler. I talk, but I feel like I'm talking to the wall. I get so frustrated. I feel like it's just a whole waste of time and energy. I want to have a good communication, a good and healthy relationship, but he's just, he's not there. The technology okay. issue, Dr. Wickler. Okay. So this is a very common problem. People think they're listening. They believe they're listening, but they're really not listening. And the first rule of effective communication that I teach couples when I work with them is you never ever speak unless you have a listener. And if your spouse is not prepared to listen to you, then it's, it's wasting your time and energy and effort to even try to speak to them. No one would think of writing a letter, putting it in an envelope, putting a stamp on it and putting it into a mailbox without putting an address on it. Never gonna arrive. What's the sense of doing that? Well, just as that would be useless, it's useless to talk to your spouse if your spouse is not paying attention. So the first thing you have to do is get their attention. Are you willing to listen to me? Can you put down your phone? Can you put down the newspaper? Can you turn off what you're listening to? I wanna to talk to you. If they can't or they won't, then you don't talk to them because they're not listening to you. The first step is you have to get their attention, see if they're willing to listen. And if they're not listening or they veer off or, or glance at the phone when you're trying to talk to them, then you have to address that and you don't keep talking. The muscle I like to use for that is, we've all, I'm sure, been on an airplane and when the plane first takes off, there's a security uh, announcement, usually on a video, telling you where the exits are and the life rafts and all that other stuff. And one of the things they always tell you, no matter what airline you take, is if there's a reduction in cabin pressure, the pilot is gonna release oxygen masks from the ceiling. And then you should put them on your face and it shows you how to do it. And if you're traveling with a child, Put it on yourself first and the child second. Now they never explain why to do that. And I've thought about it. And although I haven't checked it out with any airline personnel, I think the reason is because it's counterintuitive, meaning most people traveling with a child, it's their own child they're traveling with. And most parents, if they're confronted with a dangerous situation, They'd rather trade the child before themselves. So most parents instinctively would wanna get the oxygen mask on the child and they'll put their own oxygen mask later. But they tell you not to do it that way. All airlines tell you not to do it that way. They don't explain why, but I'll tell you why I think 
You have to do it that way. Because in such an emergency that the pod is gonna release the oxygen masks from the ceiling, there's gonna be pandemonium in the cabin. People are gonna be screaming, crying, yelling, panic is gonna break out. And if you're traveling with a child, that child is gonna be panicked to see grown men crying, screaming, dodging, whatever they're doing, it's gonna be very frightening to the child. And now in addition to the frightening scene in the cabin, these scary masks come down from the ceiling and my mother or my father wants to put one on my face. So the natural instinct of the child is to resist. So the parent is gonna struggle with the child. But meanwhile, if there's no oxygen in the cabin, the parent could pass out. And if the parent passes out, then the child won't wear the oxygen mask and the parent won't, and it could be a very dangerous situation. If the parent puts the oxygen mask on themselves first, they're not gonna pass out. And they're gonna have an easier time getting it on the child because if, if there is a struggle, at least the parent's not gonna pass out. And the child won't be so frightened seeing the oxygen mask on the parent first, then the child be more willing and compliant to put it on themselves. Now I'm citing that as a muscle. What's the nimshal? The nimshal is, if you're trying to talk to your spouse and there's a problem in the process of the communication, but you wanna get your point across. So you're very eager to get your point across, but it's more important that you address the communication problem and leave your agenda for later. Because if you're not being listened to and your spouse is, is not paying attention, then it's useless to spend any more time with your topic or your agenda or the subject you wanted to discuss. Because if the tool is broken, it's never gonna do the job it has to. You have to fix the tool first. And the tool is effective communication where your spouse is listening. And if they're not listening, you have to address and what they're doing or not doing that's making them a poor listener. Okay, here's the, the next question that came in. I've been married for three years and things started off on the right foot. And we do get along. However, I feel things are just becoming dull. My husband is out most of the day and when he comes home, there's not much to share. Is this the way it goes with marriage or is there something I need to do? Okay, so uh, this is, a, again, a very common problem. It comes up in many marriages, sometimes after three years, sometimes after three months, sometimes after 30 years, but it's very often to come up in a marriage. And I would generalize the problem to say that what the, the questioner is experiencing is that their emotional needs are not being met in the marriage. Now, everyone's emotional needs are different. What the husband needs, the wife doesn't. What the wife needs, the husband doesn't. They don't automatically have the same needs. They're two separate people and there's two separate genders. And as a result, they're gonna have different needs. But in order to have a successful marriage, each spouse has to feel that their needs are being met. Now, one spouse may have a need for greater conversation, for greater closeness, for greater sharing. Another spouse may not need that. But 
as I tell people all the time, when you want to please someone and you want to give them a gift, you don't give them a gift that you want to receive. You give them a gift that they want to receive. That's, the, that's a good gift. And if you want to please and satisfy your spouse, you have to satisfy their needs, not satisfy your own needs or what you assume to be your spouse's needs. So I'm not saying that, that what you're experiencing, what the questioner is experiencing uh, is, is, uh, is just the way they have to accept and live with it. It's a common problem, but it can be overcome and resolved and it needs to be discussed. You need to explain to your spouse that you're not happy, that your emotional needs are not being met. You would like things to be different and you need to be able to say how you'd like it to be different, what you'd like them to do to improve that can make you happy. It's not enough just to say you're, you're upset, you're disappointed, your needs are not being met. You also have to spell out and teach your spouse what they need to do to satisfy and please you. And you have to have a discussion. Now you may not get all of your needs met, but I am a firm believer that if you're able to talk about it openly and honestly, you'll get more of your needs met than, than you're getting now. Okay, Dr. Wickler, let's get into this question. It's also a very common question, I think. When my wife and I take the time to go out together and we finally do date night, I find that most of what we talk about is our kids and what we need to do around the house, all so technical. Can you give us some advice on how we can actually go out and grow our marriage and feel close again? Okay, that's an excellent question. First of all, I have to congratulate the, the couple who submitted the question because uh, they're already ahead of the game if they have a date night every week. And a lot of couples don't do that. And it's a shame that they don't. And if more couples did, then uh, they'd be able to put uh, me and my colleagues out of business very easily. But it's not enough just to have the date night because the conversation uh, as described very often focuses around the, uh, the business of running a family and is not so much focused on the on, on more pleasurable or, or pleasant topics. So uh, first of all, a couple has to acknowledge that this is gonna be the goal of the date night or at least part of the date night, that there's gonna be a certain amount of time that they're not gonna be discussing these practical matters and they're gonna to try to focus on more pleasurable topics. It's gonna take a, a concerted effort on their part and they don't have to do it for the whole date night, but they could designate a, a portion of it. If we're going out to eat when the food comes or uh, when we're in the car or, or whatever portion they decide, they're gonna to try to make that a, a business-free zone where they're just talking about more pleasant topics. And uh, it's something that I find most, not just most couple, most people in our society, and I'm not just talking about from people, in Western society, have a much easier time 
expressing negative feelings than positive feelings. We, we all have much more experience and feel much more articulate and comfortable complaining, criticizing, finding fault, than praising, complimenting, and expressing positive feelings. And the reason for that is because that's what we heard growing up. In Western society, Lahavdil in, in, in the larger secular society, as well as in the community, Arabeim, our teachers, constantly told us what we were doing wrong, the mistakes we were making. And it was very rare that we got a compliment or praise. Now, some of us may have been fortunate to have excellent superstar teachers who knew how to praise and give compliments, but most of the teachers and most of the Rebbeim didn't. And uh, we grew up hearing more criticism than praise, hearing more fault finding than, than compliments. And as a result, we're more fluent in criticizing, finding fault and complaining than we are in, in approving and complimenting and praising. So sometimes couples need to make a concerted effort to work on that. It's something that I do when I work with couples, but it's something couples can do on their own. And I mentioned that in my, in my book, the importance of uh, sharing positive feelings and actually practicing it for a specific period of time where they're just gonna take a few minutes and just share positive feelings with each other. As a, even as an exercise, it's a wonderful thing to do, even just for, for five minutes a day, just to have some time where you're going to share some positive feelings between husband and wife. Doesn't have to wait for date night. It can be once a day for five minutes. When I teach couples how to do that, they come back and tell me that that's the highlight of the day. With all the stresses and disappointments and frustrations we go through in our day, to know we're gonna have five or 10 minutes with a spouse where we're just gonna hear positive feelings and get positive feedback and just compliment each other. It's the most delicious opportunity for the whole day and it can smooth things over and lubricate the, the wheels of the family in such a way that can have enormous positive impact. Amazing, Dr. Wickler, beautiful. Okay, let's go, you're on live, live question. Hi, Dr. Wickler, thank you for taking my question. Um, Baruch Hashem, the, you know, I'm a working person and the job that I have is an online job. I work at home and I'm home most of the day. And although I know, you know, it's a very, like we were just talking, it's good to have communication with your spouse and have time to spend together. My situation is like, since I'm home all day, I haven't actually heard it from her, but I have this feeling sometimes that she's kind of She's not, she's not home the whole day, but whenever she's home, I'm, since I'm home the whole day, I'm able to like monitor everything. Not that I mean to be a mashkiach, but I see everything that's happening. And I have this feeling that she's not, she wants her own space, even though I, I don't actually do anything. And, but you know, since I'm just home all day, uh, I want to know how to balance, you know, spending time and also giving your wife or your spouse a little bit of a distance so they could have their free time with themselves. Yes, okay. Um, first of all, thank you for your question. Uh, and um, it, it is a problem if you're working at home because um, sometimes it, it's, it's very common, and I've heard this from other couples as well, that, uh, that a spouse sometimes needs and wants to have 
private time at home alone without their spouse there. Uh, it's good when the spouses can share pleasant and positive experiences and time with each other, but it's also good when they're separated from each other. The husband goes to Kolo, he goes to the office, the wife is at home or she goes out to work and comes back, but there's times when they're not with each other and at home sometimes alone. It's good for both spouses. Now, sometimes as in your case, you're home all the time because you work at home and it's perfectly legitimate and understandable that your wife may be frustrated that you're always around and she doesn't have any time to herself in the home by herself. So what I would recommend is that you try to, to build in some structure so that uh, if your home, maybe you're, you're staying in a certain part of the house or a certain room during certain hours and that you, you're not just wandering around or available at any time or you could pop in any time, that you put some kind of limits or structure that uh, you stay in your office or you stay in, the, in your study, wherever it is, a certain amount of time. Uh, so your wife can, can anticipate that during this time, you're gonna be in the room with the door closed. And even though you're at home, it's as if you're not at home. And you can discuss with her that kind of structure that may make her feel more comfortable with it and ask her if there's something that you could do. Maybe she doesn't like the fact that you come out and ask her a question and she's in the middle of something and, and uh, you distract her from what she's doing or just that, that she knows that you could do that. So make up some kind of rules together, either that you won't bother her during these part of the day, you won't come out of the room during a certain part of the day and see what would work for her and see if you could work out the kind of the structure. This was very critical. Uh, I mentioned this when I was on last time, it was during the, the pandemic and uh, everyone was at home. The kids were home, the parents were home. It was very important to have a structure uh, during the day in order to keep people sane. And Baruch Hashem, there's no lockdown now, but in, in, uh, to some extent, if you are working at home, it can create a difficulty for your spouse to so see if you could work out some kind of a structure that would uh, make her feel more, feel more comfortable. Took a beautiful answer. Okay, we have another live question. You're on. Me? Yep, you. Okay. I went to marriage counseling and they suggested that each person talks for 30 minutes and then the other listens and then we're supposed to exchange. So I'm saying I not we did it because my husband wanted me to go first. After I finished asking him what he wanted to say, he said he was going to sleep. That's question number one. What do you do with that? And then, well, I did felt, feel that he took advantage of me that way. And also, if one is a T on the Meyer Briggs and the other is an F, T for thinking and F for feeling, usually the thinking person thinks that the feeling person is not logical. So how do you overcome these, these kinds of behaviors and this kind of divide? Okay, so um, I'm not gonna address the, the second part of your question. The, the, the Briggs uh, formula, I've heard of it. I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with it, but uh, it's not an area of my expertise and, I, and I'm not gonna comment on that. But I, I will answer the first part of your question. 
I believe that it's important for couples to take turns. However, I always recommend what I call the 24 hour rule. And by that, I mean that when one spouse was the speaker, even if it's just for 10 minutes, in a 10 minute session, that the next spouse is not the speaker for at least 24 hours. Because if you speak for half an hour and then I speak for half an hour, so you don't really get the feeling that I absorbed what you had to say. You don't get the feeling that I considered what you had to say because right away, as soon as you finish speaking, now I'm gonna come with my rebuttal and try to disprove, disagree and object and correct everything you've said. And you're certainly not gonna feel heard. So what I recommend to couples when one is a speaker and the other is the listener, that they wait 24 hours before they change roles. Now that doesn't mean you don't talk for 24 hours, but it means you don't discuss that subject again for 24 hours. And 24 hours later, after your spouse has slept on it, thought about it, chewed it over, and you feel that they've at least given it a fair shot to listen, to try to understand it, then you're ready to hear them and they should be ready to speak to you. But if they're gonna respond in less than 24 hours, then they're not giving you a full, their full attention because part of their mental attention is focused on rehearsing what they're gonna to say to you when it's their turn to speak. If they can't speak for 24 hours, then they might as well listen to you because they have plenty, they have 24 hours to prepare their response and they don't have to do it while you're talking. So that's, that's the way I recommend couples uh, take turns. But when it's 24 hours later, the other spouse has to be the speaker whether they like it or not. And they don't have the option of not speaking they don't necessarily have to address your topic. They can choose their own topic. The speaker gets to pick the topic, but they don't have the option of not speaking. So both couples, both spouses have to speak when it's their turn. And it's not, it's not allowed for one spouse to say, I have nothing to say. They have to respond in some way, either with your own agenda item or responding to, the, to your, what your spouse had to say. That's the way I approach it. Okay, great, Dr. Wickler. I want to get to this question also. Go ahead. Somebody just texted in, actually. Often when I'm sharing my feelings, my spouse considers as attack and criticism. Then my spouse will avoid talking to me and being busy on the phone or being busy with household things. How do I break the cycle of the feeling that it's criticism when I'm just sharing how I feel and therefore prompting the avoidance? They have the cycle constantly when they, when they open up the person gets hurt. So anytime the person tries now to do it in a more healthier way, how do you break that cycle? Okay. Um, when you're expressing your feelings, they may be what I call negative feelings. You're not happy, you're disappointed, you're hurt. And if it's as a result of something your spouse did or didn't do, then Regardless of how you want to spin it, you are criticizing your spouse. But I don't think criticism is a four-letter word. I believe you're allowed to criticize your spouse, but you have to do it the right way. And the right way is by not attacking, not insulting, not using foul language, and not raising your voice. Now, 
you may not consider it an attack, but if you say you always and you never, and, and, and if they're all you statements, then it is an attack. You avoid attacking by saying, it makes me feel. This is how it makes me feel when you do that. I'm not attacking you, I'm just explaining you how it makes me feel. Now, some spouses are very sensitive to criticism and they have a, a criticism allergy. And if you tell them they did anything that, that you don't like, they can't hear it, but they need to be able to hear it. Now, sometimes spouses have such a criticism allergy that they become enraged inside, but they don't think it's appropriate to, to lash out just because you're expressing their feelings. So they deal with the rage by shutting down, walking away, not saying anything. But that's not helpful either. They need to be able to express their feeling about what you said. So in order to communicate effectively, it can't be one way. It can't be one as a speaker, and then the listener is never the speaker and never expresses their feelings about what you just said. It needs to be a back and forth, but not a back and forth in the same session or the same sitting, a back and forth over time from one day to the next. So I express my feelings about what you did. And then tomorrow you'll express your feelings about the way I said it to you or, or, or how you feel that I criticized you. And that's important for both spouses to share their feelings. It's okay not to like being criticized, but it's not okay to shut down when you're criticized and not respond and not answer and just shut down and walk away and, and be miserable. The silent treatment never helps anybody. That's another form of nuclear weapons. Some spouses are so enraged that they shut down and don't say anything. And that's a form of nuclear weapons. It certainly lets your spouse know you're upset. It lets them know you're angry, but it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't resolve anything. It doesn't solve anything. In order to solve things, there has to be a dialogue, but it has to be a dialogue in, an, in a constructive way. And I believe taking turns is the constructive way of doing that. That quickly, we have another live question. You're on. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? You hear yes, you. I can. Okay. Um, at times we have a very loving and passionate marriage. Um, other times it takes effort to just tolerate each other. I didn't hear the last thing you said. Uh, what can we actively do to always maintain this really positive? Can you I, hear me? I didn't hear the last thing you said. What can we actively do to always maintain those really positive and loving feelings all the time? Also, how much space is appropriate and okay within a marriage, or is this marriage specific? I didn't hear the last thing. I'm sorry. It's asking two things. She's asking a the, the last question she asked is how much space is appropriate within a marriage. Or every marriage is specific. Is there like, is there sometimes you just want your own Daladamas? Somebody sent in a question before that they happen to like also like just, you know, times when it's quiet. Okay. When it comes to space in a relationship, there is no right and there is no wrong. And there isn't one size fits all. And it's not about, about doing the way it's supposed to be. It's about negotiating the differences between the husband and wife. One spouse wants more space. One spouse wants less space. Neither one is right and neither one is wrong. And they're both entitled 
to their preferences. And if this will not be resolved by trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. And it won't be resolved by going to someone and asking them who's right and who's wrong, whether it's a, a therapist or, or a Rav uh, or a, a Rebbe or Rosh Hashiva, how much space is appropriate or right is not gonna resolve it for any couple. The couple is gonna to have to negotiate this with each other. One spouse wants more distance, one spouse wants less, and they're gonna to have to meet in the middle somewhere. But in order to do that, they're gonna to have to respect each other's preference and not try to attack the other as being wrong and they are being right, but respect each other's preference and work from there to try to reach a working compromise that both can live with. Now you had asked about maintaining the, the, the passion in a marriage. And uh, that's certainly a, uh, should be a, a goal of every marriage. And uh, in order to do that, it's, it's necessary to put in constant work and effort and attention. And, uh, you know, Ravashi was saying that 10 minutes a day sounds like too much, maybe three minutes a day. But my response to that is, if you can't invest 10 minutes a day uh, in your marriage, then your marriage isn't worth a whole lot, uh, considering everything that you, that you put into the marriage up to now, if you can't invest 10 minutes, then you're really uh, not doing yourselves justice. So I would say you need to talk about it with each other, what you can each do to keep the passion alive, what each one of you would want, what you would like. You know, it's, uh, it's very personal and very private when people have wishes and, and thoughts and fantasies but I think there's nothing greater in a marriage than when a couple can share their fantasies with each other and what they would like and how they'd like things to be and what their preferences are. And if you can share that with each other and talk about it, I think that can enhance and maintain your passion and increase it. Beautiful, Dr. Wickler. Somebody sent in a very powerful question. I wanna, I wanna read it, okay? Sure, please do. I was raised in a home where the communication between my parents were terrible to say at the least. I'm dating now and I'm scared that I will relive my parents' history. What advice can you give someone to me before I start a relationship to learn proper communication skills? And do I really have a chance at having a loving, effective communication marriage, even though I was never taught that as while I grew up? Okay, that's an excellent question. I thank you for asking it. Um, you know, uh, it is hard to have a, a, a close, compatible, um, loving relationship with a spouse when you didn't see that in your own home growing up. Because we do tend to emulate what we saw in our own homes. And we do tend to, to follow the pattern that we grew up with. And it certainly can be scary if there was no shalom bias in your home growing up, and now you're on the cusp of, of shaduchim and dating and, and about to establish your own home. So I have another favorite mushal. I like to use mashalom. I think you've noticed that by now. 
supposing you you worked in an office and your boss sent you, was going to send you to Japan for two weeks on a business trip. And you tried to protest and he said, no, I'm going to send you with kosher food. Don't worry about it. But you have to go. There's no one else in the office that can go. It has to be you. And you say, but I don't, I don't speak Japanese. What do you want from me? How am I going to get around over there? Well, you have to go. So there's a very good reason why you don't speak Japanese. Because your parents didn't speak Japanese when you grew up in your home. They spoke English or Yiddish or Hebrew, but they didn't speak Japanese. So what do you do now? Well, you don't give up your job. You don't tell your boss to fire you and hire somebody else. What you do is you go to a crash course in conversational Japanese. You learn how to speak some basic Japanese and that'll get you by. So the nimshal is that no, you didn't have good role models growing up, but that does not mean that you're doomed and that you have no hope for having a happy marriage. As a matter of fact, you have a head start because you know what not to do and you know what to avoid. And you know, just remembering the example that you grew up with at home and just trying to do the opposite sometimes is helpful. But there are places you could go and, and things you could do to help you learn to, to have a healthy communication with each other. Um, you might find it helpful to, to read the book that I wrote about it, uh, titled 10 Minutes a Day to a Better Marriage. It's uh, not only for couples who are, who are married, it's also for people who are planning to get married. And you might find some useful uh, advice in that book that would help you to build your bias in Israel. Could, could we take it uh, to a little bit of a practical? I know many people have our time with even knowing themselves what they need and what they want, expressing their feelings to their spouse. Uh, you're talking about people who don't even know what feelings are, even the positives and negatives. These, these are all taboo. Where would someone start? How would they start even for themselves? And uh, like I mentioned before, the spouse doesn't want to talk. So you're telling them he has no, they have no option. So where do they start? Okay. Uh, another excellent question from Coach Nachum. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, there are spouses who are unhappy and disappointed and miserable in their marriage. And when their spouse says to them, so what would you want me to do differently? So what would you want from me? How would you want me to, to help you? How, what, what can I do to make you feel better? And the answer that they give is very honest. I don't know. Now, that obviously puts the other spouse in a tremendous dilemma. They want to help. They want to provide the needs of their spouse, but the spouse isn't able to articulate it. So they're kind of stuck because they have no roadmap. So that's basically what your question is. What do we do then? So if a spouse is unable to be in touch with their feelings, is unable to identify what it is that they really want, how they want things to be different, what their needs are, and they're not even aware of their, their feelings or able to articulate it, then that's someone who is probably gonna need some individual therapy or to work with a, a coach or a counselor or an individual therapist to help them get in touch with their feelings and be able to learn to 
to identify their needs so they can express them and articulate them to their spouse. So marriage counseling won't help for that, but marriage counseling might identify that one spouse may need some individual work with someone to be able to help them to get more in touch with their feelings, be more aware of their needs, so then they can communicate it to their spouse. Very good. Okay, so this, uh, this brings us into this question that came in. We fight all the time. Disagreements sometimes go for hours, and then they sort of make up, and things are okay, and then a short time later, the same issues and the things, same things come up, and the same heat, and the same fight. So what would you tell them? How can they resolve the issues properly that it would work for more long-term so that they don't get back into it again and again, the same, same issues? Okay. Um, I would imagine that this particular couple that's fighting and making up and fighting and making up and they just keep going around and around like a merry-go-round, that when they're making up, they're making up for hurting each other during the fight, but they're not really resolving the issue. They were fighting about some issue where they disagreed or di differed with each other, and they're arguing about it. And in the course of arguing, they're hurting each other. And then they may feel guilty, sorry, and regret things they've said, the way they said it. And then they apologize, make up, and, and the, the air is sort of cleared. But when they apologized and made up, they may have apologized and made up for the way they dealt with each other during the fight. And that may cool things down and calm things temporarily, but it doesn't resolve the issue that's prompted the fight in the first place. Now, if they're fighting, then I gave you my definition earlier that an argument according to Wickler, is a communication session between two people who both want to be the speaker and neither one wants to be a listener. So if they're arguing with each other, it means both are trying to be the speaker and neither one is listening. And when both people try to speak and neither one is listening, then no one gets heard. Everyone is frustrated. There's nothing gets resolved. Nothing gets fixed. There's no resolution. And uh, even if they make up Afterwards, the issue doesn't get resolved. What I'm recommending is instead of arguing, they need to communicate more effectively about the issue that prompted the argument in the first place. Now they have to agree that they're gonna take turns and one will speak first and the next one will speak the next night. They won't have an argument, but they'll try to resolve the issue so that when it comes up again, they'll have a different way of dealing with it. So it won't have to frustrate either or both of them. That's what I would recommend. Okay. Somebody just texted this question. I want to jump on this question. I think it's a great question. I quickly ready? I'm ready. What do you do with a hypocritical spouse? He makes demands for me. He himself doesn't respect, for example, spending money. He restricts me, but allows himself to cart blank spending and blames for our financial distress. There's only one of examples. So basically you have a relationship, you communicate something, but you feel the other person just doesn't keep to what you make up or just hypocritical. How do you communicate that? Well, I think you communicate it directly. You have to be blunt about it and 
tell things like it is. And if you feel your spouse is being hypocritical and uh, having a double standard, then you need to point that out and say, it feels like a double standard and it doesn't feel fair to me. And uh, I would like that we have one standard for both of us. And uh, I want to hear what you have to say about it tomorrow. But today I want to explain to you why I feel that you're being hypocritical when it comes to money. I think you have to be direct, open, and honest about it, not beat around the bush. Tell it like it is. Some people, after many years of marriage, they're maybe scared even to mention what they're thinking. Yes. That's because uh, they don't feel safe. And one of the things that, that this kind of structure that I propose for couples to use creates a safe place where they can really bring up anything because they know it's built into the system that the spouse can't disagree, object, argue, or even contradict or even correct. So when you have both spouses following the rules of being a good listener, when it's their turn to listen, then it's creating a very safe place where you can bring up literally anything. But without that ensured, guaranteed safety, a lot of spouses are not talking about things that really need to be discussed. And when things need to be discussed and they're not, it's like a, a cavity that can, can grow and grow until a person's going to need a root canal job. And that's going to be very painful. Exactly. I just want to jump on this. Somebody asked, it's, it's yeah. is it okay to communicate the problem through writing or should it all be, ver or, or it all has to be verbal communication? Okay. Um, writing certainly makes it easier. And I know couples that, that text each other, which uh, I can understand why someone might want to do that. It certainly feels safer to put something in writing, but I think a lot gets lost in communicating through writing. Now, I have communicated to people in writing in therapy sessions when they couldn't tell me what they really wanted to tell me, and I suggested they write it to me, and they did. But that was as a substitute when they couldn't speak at all. But if there's any way to have direct verbal communication, then I think that's always preferable because there's body language, there's tone of voice, there's facial expressions that are so critical to understanding each other that if you're gonna communicate in writing, all that's gonna be lost. So I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's good for beginners. <laughs> Here's this question. I find myself getting frustrated minutes into a conversation. Um, because he has the habit of disagreeing with me on almost everything. And he wears me out until I either agree with him or get frustrated and give in. How can I handle this better? Okay. Well, first of all, there are two things I want to say. Um, first of all, 
lot of couples, when they're discussing a disagreement with their spouse, they approach the disagreement from the standpoint, what I call principle. Principle basically means I'm right and you're wrong. Let me explain to you why I'm right and why you're wrong. And then the matter will be solved. It's very understandable why spouses would prefer to approach any disagreement based on principle, because there's two advantages. Number one, once I convince you of the principle, then you agree that I'm right and I don't owe you any debt of gratitude. Secondly, once I convince you of the principle, then I never have to discuss it again because we've established that I'm right on this matter. And that takes us, carries us forward till 120. Now, even though those are two good reasons to discuss things on principle, there are also two good reasons not to because you're setting the bar too high for your spouse to ever clear. No spouse is gonna to wanna to agree that you're right and that therefore they don't owe you a debt of gratitude if you go along with what they want because it may be a concession. And if you're gonna make a concession, at least you want appreciation for it. And secondly, you don't wanna feel that you're locked in that now until 120, you're gonna to have to do it this way forever. So therefore, I recommend that couples approach their differences based on preference rather than principle. By preference, I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. That's the way I like it. That's the way I want it. Could you please do it that way? Now, that means if you agree to me, then I'm going to owe you gratitude. And I'm not guaranteed you're always going to agree to do it that way. But I stand a better chance of getting what I want if I approach it based on preference rather than principle. The second thing is that I wanna say about this is that if this person is talking and right away the husband or the spouse is disagreeing, then the spouse is simply not being a good listener. A good listener is not supposed to give their opinion about anything. They're not supposed to contradict, disagree, or even correct. They're supposed to reflect and ask questions. And by the way, when I talk about reflecting, I just wanna point out that I didn't invent the idea of reflecting. Chazal understood the value of reflecting. And I just wanna point out that if anybody's interested, you can look up Shulchan Aruch Choshen Mishpat, Hilchus Dayanin, Perik Yud Zayin, Halacha Zayin. And it says there, Beferish, that in a Din Torah, a Dayan is mechuyiv to repeat the arguments of each litigant in order to make sure that the litigant feels the Dayan understood his Taina. And then the Machaber quotes the Posik in Malachim, where Shlomo Amalek did the exact same thing. In the mice of the two women that were arguing over the live baby and the dead baby, Shlomo HaMelech repeats the taina of each woman. And the Mechabah takes from there that it, it's an obligation of a dayan to repeat the arguments of each litigant, of each baldin, so the baldin makes sure the dayan understood him. Now that's a din Torah. I'm not suggesting that a marriage is a din Torah, but you are judging what your spouse is saying 
And it's important for your spouse to feel heard before you render a judgment, even 24 hours later. So in order for your spouse to feel heard, it's necessary for the listener to repeat what's being said by call reflecting. But you can look it up in the Shulchan Aruch. Perik Yud Zion, Hilchas Dayanim, Halacha Zion. Maybe we could do like practice like a parroting. Can we try it? Please, sure. Okay, there's somebody on live. Let's take a live question. But maybe we should practice it just to give people the concept of what parroting is. Okay, you're on. Okay. Um, if someone is married to someone and they they were having a good marriage and then they started getting into addiction, into sex addiction and porn, and then they, you know, they were feeling shame and they're in denial of it. They start blaming their spouse and they, they start spending money on it and they, they can't face it. How's the spouse supposed to react to that? They can't really talk to them because they're just in denial. Yeah. Addictions are a very serious uh, challenge to any marriage. Um, it's a, it's an enormous it's an enormous nesayan for both spouses. <coughs> I'm a very strong believer in the effectiveness of twelve step programs, and I would strongly encourage the whoever is married to someone who's addicted to anything whether it's a substance or whether it's a behavioral addiction that they should attend Al-Anon uh, meetings uh, themselves to give them the the support and the encouragement and the guidance that they need to deal with this very very challenging and difficult uh, crisis in any marriage. That's what I would recommend. Can we, can we can we do a parroting between me and you? Just to, just to give because if people are texting, let's play it out. Sure. <laughs> so I'll be the wife. You'll be the husband. Okay. Fine. Who who's the speaker? Who's the I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna speak. Okay. You're gonna listen. I want to I want you to okay. parrot back to me. Okay. Okay. First, first like, of all, first of all, reflecting is not parroting. Okay. Parroting is not good listening. If you're repeating word for word, then it's not showing that you're really understanding what's being said at all. So it's a paraphrase, not a paradigm. So you're saying I should parrot? No, <laughs> no I'm joking. I'm joking. I'll be the husband, you'll be the wife. Fine. I'm waiting for you to come home. You're so late. The kids are all screaming in the bathtub. I don't understand why you don't listen, why you're on the phone, why you're texting, why you're calling somebody. Oh, okay. hold, 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 hold. Hold. Before you go further, let me make sure I understood what you what you're telling me so far. You, you, you're asking me why I came home late, and you're telling me you're having a hard time because the, the the kids are driving you crazy and 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 they're on top of you and 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 you're you're really at at the end of your rope with them and you're and you it sounds to me like you're you're upset with me that I came home late. Did I understand you correctly? Oh yes, you did. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, that was that what, was easy. Most what, what what else did you want to tell me? Most times they say no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> okay, then what did you mean? Well, every day it's different. Then you told me you're gonna be on my time, and I wanted the supper, and I wasn't ready. And uh, now you wanted to. I'm not available, and I I can't, I can't continue like this. Okay, so you're telling me you're very frustrated that uh, I didn't come home when I said, 
and you prepared supper for me in order to be home and, and it was ready for when I said I would be home. And then I came home later and you, you, you're feeling you just can't continue like this. And, and, and uh, <laughs> you're very upset with me. Did I understand you correctly? Yeah, I know you're using Wickler's techniques. <laughs> well, we've done this before. I, 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 I learned something on Sunday night and I'm trying to practice it. Work like that. I want to get into a different topic. I mean, it's a very, 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 very powerful question, but it's it's a topic that like when people communicate and things don't go their way, like how to deal with it. So basically it's, it's, it's a little bit off topic, but I think the point is very strong. My wife often makes nasty comments to me in front of our children saying things like, you're so stupid, stop being a lazy bum, take care of yourself. And our poor kids have to listen to these comments over and over. She, she, I discussed it with her, we made up, but yet it seems like it's like second habit. Like she just keeps on doing it again and again. What could I do to either A, effectively communicate it again when I feel it's going nowhere? Or what's my other option to, to help myself? People that like they communicate, but then they have a second habit that the other person can't control themselves. So this needs to be brought up and discussed, obviously behind closed doors. You need to tell your, your spouse that it's, it's very uh, embarrassing, insulting, hurtful for you to be criticized in front of the children. And it's very damaging for the children to have to be exposed to that kind of um, attention. And uh, you'd like to work out a system where um, whatever criticism or negative comments that you have, that you'll share with me, not in front of the children. And if you feel it must be said at the moment, then simply tell me you want to discuss something with me privately in the next room and I'll drop what I'm doing. I'll go with you to the next room. We'll discuss it there. But it's totally unacceptable that you put me down, insult me, or criticize, even criticize me in front of the children. And uh, we, we simply have to work out another system and another way that our disagreements can be kept behind closed doors for our benefit as well as the benefit of the children. Okay. Now, there's one more question that came in that was emailed. I'm going to read it. I think it's a sequel of the thing. It's, it's a very powerful question. And then we'll go to closing. Okay, Dr. Wickler? Fine with me. Well, it's a long one. Okay. Our marriage has been quite a roller coaster ride for a long haul, as my husband suffers from emotional and mental health challenges. Aside from the communication being a struggle, I basically shut down all feelings for him pretty much as it means to getting through it, staying focused on raising my family healthy. He's finally waking up and real and re to reality that I'm feeling feeling less for him and it's extremely upsetting for him but even though I try to communicate how I need to show how, how I need him to show up as a husband and a father he continues to make little or no effort to work on his midos and being caring especially in the areas that I have shared with him are hurtful and affected me and the children he does some things here and there to show that he's a nice person but will not work on midos and is extremely self-preoccupied is there anything to get him to understand where he needs to come through for me, even to start feeling a sense of respect for him. He seems not to understand it in regular words. I know I sound demeaning at this point, but I'm just looking for a way to finally be able to respect him when I really don't feel like I do. Okay. So obviously this is a person who's, who's uh, having 
none of their needs met, is very frustrated and terribly disappointed. And uh, um, the suggestion I have to try to see if things can be moving a little bit in a more positive direction is that um, when, when people are, are asked for something that's difficult for them to give, then even if someone is explaining why it's so necessary or, or so urgent, it doesn't make it easier for them to give. But when a person, especially a person who may be very self-absorbed, sees some possible benefit for themselves, and that can increase their motivation dramatically. So what I would recommend is instead of telling your husband all the things he's not doing that you want him to do, or the things he's doing that you want him to stop, that you approach your husband and ask him if there's anything that he would want from you to do or to not do. Does he want to see any changes in you? What would he want different from you? And if you start from that point and try to see if there's something that he would want more of, less of, differently from you, then it may provide an incentive for him to consider maybe some of your needs as well. So that would be my suggestion to you. Begin with yourself, approach your husband and say, listen, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Tell me what you want me to work on, what you want me to change and see if there's something that he could tell you that he would want you to change. And if you work on that, that may be an incentive for him then to consider some of your needs as well. Let's go to closing over here. Everybody stay on. Dakuza has some closing statements. First, I guess Dr. May welcome for coming on again. The joke we always make is when it comes to Adam, it says, that you can't repeat. So, we want you back. We want you back again, that you're here again. And uh, thanks for being Mechazik, all the amazing questions that came in tonight, and really helping people. It's tremendous, tremendous Chazik for people. Again, tonight, share with learning Leil Nishmas, the Mashkiach of the Mir. Of Aaron Chodesh, Rav Aaron Ben, Rav David Ben, David Ben, Harav Meir. It's his first yard site, so it should be a schuss for him. Again, if anybody wants to join our WhatsApp chat, so you get the flyer every Sunday, please text me personally at 848-525-0066, 848-525-0066, and I'll send you every Sunday the flyer. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, you have an amazing share on the Zoom ID, and uh, please join. It's really, really uplifting in Maridik. The next two Sundays... November 28th and December 5th is going to be Hanukkah, the first night and the last night. So we will not be having a share those nights. The next year will be December 12th. The world famous Rabbi Sia Shaver from the Shmuz was also coming back for a second time. And he's going to be discussing, you ready? You ready? Some of the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. So I think uh, based on what we spoke about tonight, the first step, just basic communication and getting that clarity with each other. Getting into that topic, it should uh, it should be well. So uh, everybody who's here tonight definitely can join on, uh, on December twelfth, and it's going to be a powerful deep program. Please join. <coughs> anybody, if anybody wants to see this program later, it's recorded. It'll be on MenachemBernfeld.com. If anybody has any questions for Dr. Wickler, please email CoachMenachem at gmail.com. We'll forward all the questions to him or anything anything you want to have say to him. Um, tonight's share is number eighty one. It's going to be recorded. It'll be up on our phone lines uh, probably later tonight or tomorrow morning at eight four eight seven 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 grow. That's eight four eight. 777 grow. And let's just thank you to all the advertising sponsors of Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Yanif Hazak, Chayla Kaufman Shmuel Summer from JCN, and uh, 
Dr. Wickle, thank you for coming on. It was a beautiful, beautiful share tonight. Much better the second time. <laughs> Not that the first time was bad, <laughs> but much better. It was a gewaldic tonight. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And Coach Menachem first for the closing. The first time was great. The second time was even better. Sorry. After, can, can you paraphrase it back to me? <laughs> Coach Menachem closing, then Dr. Wickler, leave the element with, with, with a chizik. Let's go. Yeah, I want to thank you, Dr. Wickler, for giving up your time for the for our uh, audience. I know it's hard for many. We've, we've heard it before from many. There are people out there who feel that they're giving everything they have and they get nothing back. And now they heard the last thing you said, they're probably very hard for them. Now they should ask their spouse what they can do. It's, 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 it could be hard and a challenge, but I guess um, uh, it's, it sounds like tonight we went through many, many questions, many scenarios, and all boils down to this basic communication, effective communication. There's something there that we need to learn and uh, I guess uh, I'll have to look into the book to see more practical things that we can use um, no matter where we are as beginners um, or older people, people who feel there's no hope, but if they've never tried this uh, method, so there's one more method they can use and it sounds like it works. So I wanna thank you again for coming and everybody should be able to take this information just one step ahead of the game so they can learn any movement, any new uh, new things in their marriage so that they can go to the for the better. Mitz Hashem. Shkoyach. Hey, just briefly in closing, I just want to repeat that I, I do believe that regardless of the differences that exist between a husband and wife and however long-standing they may be, um, literally any disagreement, hurt feeling, or a conflict, I believe can be resolved to the mutual satisfaction of the husband and wife if they learn to communicate effectively with the system we was talking about today. I go into greater detail in it in my book, 10 Minutes a Day to a Better Marriage, an art scroll book, but as I started to say it in answer to one of the previous questions, it's not only you and your spouse who will benefit from being able to communicate more effectively. The greatest beneficiaries are gonna be your children because when husbands and wives are not able to communicate effectively and they're both trying to be the speaker and neither one is willing to be the listener and there are arguments, and there are arguments in front of the children, then you cannot believe how damaging and hurtful that can be to the emotional well-being of your own children. And everyone always wants the best for their children. And no one for would want to think they're doing anything that's going to hurt their children. But I just want to leave you with, with one brief anecdote. There's a, a Diane here in Lakewood who, as a result of his position on the Besden, he comes into contact with many lawyers in different fields. And he 
once met a, a lawyer who was a, a former Marine, an Iraqi war veteran. And this lawyer, this uh, Marine veteran shared with the Dayan that as a result of his active service in the military, he was wounded in battle. He saw buddies of his killed in front of him. And on occasion, he even had to kill people as a soldier. In spite of those horrific experiences that he had, the most traumatic experience he ever had in his life was lying in bed at night as a child and hearing his parents fight with each other. That was the most traumatic experience he had, including his wartime experiences, was hearing his parents fight when he was a child. And I can tell you there is nothing more terrifying to a child than lying in bed at night and hearing their parents fight. So if you don't work on your marriage for yourselves, at least do it for your children. They're the ones who are gonna be the greatest beneficiaries. I thank you again for inviting me and participating in this wonderful project that you have. And I also wanna thank Madison Title for giving me their office today. This is not my office here. And I thank them for being so generous and, and gracious and letting me use their facilities tonight. And I wish you continued Hatzlacha with uh, Coach Menachem with your Let's Get Real program. I think it's a wonderful service that you provide to the from community. And I, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity of participating tonight. Thank, thank you. tonight. Thank you, everybody. Have a Friedrich and Hanukkah. Enjoy the donuts. And we will see you December 12th with Rabbi Schaefer, Dr. Wickler. Shkoyach. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.